Today's episode is brought to you by Pure VPN. Whether you're streaming, browsing, or just looking for a little more online security, Pure VPN has you covered. Rated 4.8 stars by TruePilot and seen on Wired, Yahoo Tech, The Huffington Post, and Lifehacker, Pure VPN offers blazing fast VPN services at an affordable price. Pure VPN also has features like internet kill switch, split tunneling, and the capacity to allow 10 devices per account, as well as 24-7 customer support. Right now, they're even offering a 7-day full access trial for just 99 cents and an additional 40% off their monthly subscription service. Use the link in the show notes to secure this deal and your online activity today. Hello and welcome back. This is the second episode of Pulling a Jobcast, the Heist Podcast, the show where in each episode I take a dive into the most ridiculous and extreme heists on the planet. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the 2005 Banco Central heist of Fortaleza, Brazil. On the morning of August 8, 2005, police received a call from the central bank that there had been a robbery. It was a Monday, and what the police had expected to be an ordinary call was anything but. For a moment, I'd like you to put yourself in the shoes of a bank employee. It's not necessarily the most exciting work in the world, but it's steady, pays the bills, and likely has room for growth or maybe even a promotion. So you don't mind when your boss asks you to be the first one in to open up on a Monday morning. You wake up early, you get dressed and ready, you head into the office, and meanwhile, you're thinking of everything that has to be done before the bank opens for business. When you arrive, you turn on the lights, you start the coffee, and you make sure that the teller station are clean and ready to go. And then you check the vault. You'll likely need to check the amounts available versus the paperwork from the previous week. Maybe refill the teller station so that they can cash checks and exchange currency. Well, now imagine that when you open the vault, instead of seeing neat stacks of cash or gold bars or doubloons or whatever banks have in their vaults, all you saw was a hole in the floor and far less money than there was when you left on Friday. That was the case on August 8th, 2005, when it was discovered that someone had broken in and robbed Banco Central in Fortaleza, Brazil. Now, as far as heists go, the goal is relatively straightforward. Steal as much as you can. Sometimes that means jewels, gold, maybe even maple syrup, but oftentimes it means cold, hard cash. Now, usually that comes at the cost of others. You're stealing someone else's stuff, thereby potentially putting them in financial jeopardy. However, in this instance, it seems like our thieves had somewhat of a conscience, and let me explain why. In this case, the medium of the theft was Brazilian reals. It did happen in Brazil, after all. The amounts vary depending on what article you're reading due to the time the articles were written and what the exchange rate was at that time. Not everybody uses the 2005 equivalent. But when all was accounted for, 164 million Brazilian reals were missing the equivalent of 71.6 million US dollars at the 2005 exchange rate, making this the largest heist in Brazilian history. And what's interesting is that the thieves didn't technically steal from anyone. The thieves only took bills that were set aside to be analyzed to see if they could be removed from circulation, which inadvertently brings us to the why. You see, Banco Central was responsible for controlling the currency that flowed through the local economy. 
That weekend, the vault was full of brand new 50 real notes ready to be pumped into circulation, as well as boxes of old 50 real notes that needed to be checked to see if they should be put back into the economy or incinerated. This means that those bills didn't come from any one account, but from the economy itself, making this somewhat of a victimless crime because it was going to be thrown out anyways. Now, because these bills were old and used, the bank didn't sort them in any particular way or keep records of their serial numbers, making them completely untraceable. And the worst part? They were uninsured as the cost of the insurance outweighed the risk to the bank. Or so they thought. The why in this case was because it was a perfect storm. Over 160 million in untraceable bills that really don't belong to any one person. Bills that were about to be replaced anyway were about to literally be thrown into the fire. It's more of a question of why not. Let's step back and look at the where for a second. I've already mentioned that this story takes place in Fortaleza, Brazil, but in my opinion, the bank isn't the most notable location in this heist. For that, we need to rewind a few months prior to the actual theft. Approximately three months before the robbery, a man who called himself Paulo Sergio signed a lease to rent a small property at 1071 Rua 25 de Marco in Fortaleza. Once the paperwork was signed, a group of men could be seen loading supplies into the building and doing minor renovations, and within a few days it was revealed to be a landscaping business specializing in selling synthetic grass. Paolo quickly made friends with the neighboring businesses, doing some word of mouth marketing, and even went so far as to make flyers, put out ads in the local paper, and even create promotional baseball hats with the company logo on them. By all accounts, he was a friendly guy that everybody liked. Once the business opened its doors, it became commonplace to see men hauling truckloads of dirt out of the shop. It was a landscaping business after all, and these guys are moving dirt, so it didn't really catch anybody's attention. And that stroke of genius leads us to the how. For you to truly appreciate the how, I want you to grasp how incredible this heist really was. These guys stole $164 million in cash. That's 164 with six zeros after it. To put that into perspective, that's roughly three and a half tons, or over 7,000 pounds of paper currency. If stacked, it would be over 100 feet tall. A smash and grab is just that. You break in, you take as much as you can carry, and you run. Realistically, that's probably about 30 pounds or less, and running with 30 pounds of anything makes running a bit tough. So how in the world did these guys make off with over 7,000 pounds of paper money? I am about to tell you. If the truckloads of dirt didn't tip you off, then allow me to explain how these gardeners stole nearly three and a half tons of untraceable cash. The building they used as a front for landscaping was approximately two blocks away from Banco Central. Over the course of about three months, our crew dug a 13-foot hole in the back room of their storefront, and using a GPS, electric saws, shovels, and who knows what else, tunneled 260 feet until they were right beneath the vault of the central bank. The tunnel was roughly 28 inches in diameter, and was found to have ladders, wooden bracing, plastic lining, electricity, and even an air conditioning and ventilation system. It was estimated that the construction of the tunnel alone cost our thieves about 200000 Once they got under the vault, they were presented with a challenge, but nothing our crew likely hadn't thought of and certainly could overcome. The bottom of the vault was composed of three and a half feet of steel reinforced concrete. To this day, almost 15 years later, it is unclear exactly how they broke through, 
but there are no reports of any witnesses hearing or feeling explosions. So my guess is that they strategically drilled to weaken the floor and then chiseled away to dig through. They may have even torched through some steel beams. So now they're in. If you've seen any heist movies at all, you know that this should be the hardest part. Any self-respecting facility that stores anything of value has some kind of security precautions in place. Cameras, motion detectors, laser tripwires, seismic wave sensors, sharks with lasers on their heads, the list goes on. However, baffling both the police and the bank itself, none of the security measures were functional that weekend, and no one can explain why. So now they have a secret tunnel from inside the bank leading back to their secret clubhouse. How would you go about physically moving the money? You grab as much as you can and crawl back? Create a fireman's line of people and start handing stacks back to home base? No. Our crew was all about working smarter, not harder. While constructing the tunnel, they built in a rope and pulley system with buckets attached so they could easily have someone manning the rope while the others filled the buckets as the empties came around. Once they had finished, it's reported that they covered the vault in some kind of white powder that made it nearly impossible to dust for prints. After that, it's reported that the individuals involved, it's suspected that there were about 25, got into half a dozen different cars and vanished, leaving their landscaping days behind. So now that you know the how, let's talk about the who for a minute. Based on witness statements from the neighbors of the landscaping business, as well as a confession from one of the individuals that was arrested, roughly 25 people were involved, although that number is not confirmed. For those of you that are trying to do the math, that's 6.5 million each if the take was divided equally. Yet another interesting thing about this heist is that, although 25 men are suspected, relatively little information is available on how many people were actually caught and who they were. Trust me, I've looked pretty hard, and if I'm missing any information, I welcome you to send it to me. I am not trying to spread false information. With that said, here's what I did find. It seems like these guys loved nicknames. In my research, I found mentions of conspirators with names like The Big Digger, Armadillo, The Tortured, and The Big Boss. But little information was available on their real names or their roles in the heist, although I'm pretty confident in guessing that The Big Digger and Armadillo were in charge of digging holes. I did find one article that mentioned a man referred to as the Big Boss was the engineer responsible for the design and construction aspect of the tunnel. Apparently he was arrested, but he managed to escape, and as of the article's writing in 2015, is still on the run. No name was given, and I found no other supporting documents to substantiate that claim. There were two arrests made in the days following the heist. And although I couldn't find the names of these individuals either, it's not hard to see why they were arrested. Apparently one of them decided to purchase 10 cars at once the day after the incident, and you guessed it, he paid in cash using 50 real notes. Now purchases made in cash are not out of the ordinary, but 10 cars at once did raise some red flags. The transaction was reported and the police were able to catch up with them in one of the neighboring states. Once in custody, they searched the vehicles and found over 2 million reals, comprised of bundles of 50 real notes across several of the vehicles. Under police interrogation, one of the individuals reportedly ratted on the others and gave the authorities a healthy amount of information used to further the investigation. The most notable of these facts may be that the mayor of a small town called Boa Viajem, and I'm sorry about that pronunciation, some of these words are a little tough, he was in on the heist and contributed seed money for the tunnel's construction. As for the names I could find, 
let's start with Husivan Antonio Alves dos Santos, also known as the German. He was reportedly the ringleader behind the heist. He successfully evaded police for three years before being arrested. The last article I found from 2015 states that he's serving an 80-year sentence for money laundering. Next up is Antonio Reginaldo de Orajo. No Jolly Pirate nickname for Antonio. He was arrested in August of 2011 after an anonymous phone call advised police that he was living in a neighborhood south of Sao Paulo, nearly 2,000 miles south of where the theft took place. Then we have Davi Da Silva. Again, no fun nicknames for Mr. Da Silva, although he does have a fun history. Apparently in 2001, while serving an 80-year sentence, Davi Da Silva was involved in digging a tunnel out of Carandiru Prison in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That was responsible for freeing 108 prisoners. Similarly to most of the people involved, I was not able to find much more information on when and how he was caught or what his sentence is. What I did find interesting is that it seems like he and several other members were suspected of being involved in a notorious gang, the Primero Comando de Capital, or the PCC. Around the time of the heist, media made claims that the gang may have had a hand in financing the operation, which might explain how these guys were able to spend $200,000 on a tunnel. Next up is Luis Fernando Ribeiro, potentially the most notable person involved in this heist, but not for what you might think. Known in the crew as Little Fernando, he was reportedly a violent drug dealer who likely financed a good portion of the heist. According to various news articles, Luis was kidnapped two months after the heist outside of a club in Sao Paulo. After his family had been notified of the event, they contacted his lawyer. The ransom they requested was over one million reals. The lawyer reluctantly got the money together and met with the kidnappers at a rural gas station, at which point they gave him proof of life via a walkie-talkie. After the money had been given over, they promised that they would return Louise shortly. Two weeks later, Louise was found several hundred miles outside of Sao Paulo, dead, with seven bullet wounds. An investigation into the incident led to the arrest of two police officers that were allegedly involved in his kidnapping, although I was unable to find much more on that either. And finally, we have Paulo Sergio. Paulo was the leaseholder on the building they used as a front for their fake grass business. According to reports, the only evidence found of Paulo was the property lease documents and his identification card. Now, strangely, it was noted that on his photo ID, he's wearing a hat, which is odd because it's relatively universal that in any official identification photos, the subject has to remove all accessories. Hats, glasses, you're not even supposed to smile. Not surprisingly, he was never found, and the name appears to have been fake. Though it's not stated anywhere. Based on what I've read, I'd like to think that Paulo Sergio is the real mastermind behind the largest heist in Brazilian history. When the neighbors were questioned by the police, all of them gave similar accounts of a friendly, smooth-talking guy that was always polite and didn't drink too much. One of them even recalled a conversation with Paulo, where he stated he was doing some work at the central bank but the comment passed without much thought until the news broke. Since the heist, the house, located at 1071 Rua 25 de Marco, has become a local attraction in Fortaleza. So let's review the numbers. The length of the tunnel was 80 meters, or 260 feet. The amount stolen, 164 million reals, 
or 71.6 million US dollars, again at the 2005 exchange rate. The people involved? 25 suspected, though not confirmed. People arrested? Unknown. And of the 164 million reals stolen that day, only 20 million, or around 8 million US, have been recovered. Credit for the information used in this episode goes to Aussie, Wikipedia, The New York Daily News, The Independent, Agencia Brazil, The Sydney Morning Herald, Standard Media, and the Merco Press. Thank you so much for listening.